Welcome back, friends. Bill Creasy here with Friday's episode of Scripture Uncovered. Last time, we explored Judas's motivations for betraying Jesus. Today, I'd like to move on to the next episode of the Lord's Supper, Passover. And I read to you from Matthew 26, beginning at verse 17. On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, that is Passover, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to make preparation for you to eat the Passover? Now remember, there are upwards of a million people in town, so Jesus better have made reservations somewhere if they're going to have a room to celebrate Passover. So where will it be? And he replied, Go into the city to a certain man and tell him, The teacher says, My appointed time is near. I am going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. Well, indeed, he had made an appointment, and it's now time. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. Now when evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. Now I'm not sure he said that in a, in a loud voice for all to hear. Perhaps seated there at the table, and not a European table as we see in paintings, but more like a Moroccan restaurant, a U-shaped table with cushions around it, and you're seated on the floor with your feet tucked up underneath uh, on the cushions. And at Jesus' right was Peter, at his left was John. That will be important in a moment. And all the way around the table, there'll be an Emily Post seating arrangement. The guest of honor, the most important person, would be at the host's right, Again, that's Peter. The second most important at his left, that's John. And there was a set form for who would sit where. The least important person would sit at the left-hand side of the table at the end. That would be right around the corner from John. So evening came, and Jesus said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. And I suspect that he said that in a, in a private kind of way, perhaps to Peter or to John, and the others overheard. They, they said, one after another, surely not I, Lord. And Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. And then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. And Jesus looked at him, and he answered, perhaps in a very private, quiet way, Yes, it is you. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. 
I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, that is, the Hallel Psalms, the last of which would be Psalm 118. 115 to 118 are the Hallel Psalms sung during the Passover meal. So when they sang Psalm 118, they got up and went out to the Mount of Olives, to the Garden of Gethsemane, where they would always join up at the end of the day when they were in Jerusalem, and then go up to Bethany, to the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, where they stayed. Two things I want to note here. Jesus said to Judas, yes, it is you. Now, if I'm correct about Judas's motivations of him thinking, if I could only get Jesus together privately with the religious leaders, that was a good motivation. One, tempted by Satan, not in a way, betray him, but you, you know you're right about this, Judas. You've got to get them together. You need to be the peacemaker. But it worked just the opposite way. Jesus knew it. Yes, in the end, even though you intended something good, it will be a betrayal. The other thing I want to note is the bread and the wine. Two elements of the Passover meal, very common elements, but Jesus made it something quite uncommon. After giving thanks, he took the bread, broke it, gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. A equals B. This is my body. And then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for you. This is my body. This is my blood. And then they got up and left for the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, I read this from Matthew. Matthew was an apostle. He was there at the table. And Matthew writes his gospel sometime, perhaps in the late 60s, a while after, if Jesus dies, Passover, A.D. 32, 42, 52, 62, say 30-some years later, Matthew writes his gospel after Mark. But John doesn't write his gospel until considerably later, in the 80s or maybe even in the early 90s. John thought a lot about this. Matthew, Mark, and Luke have been circulating for many years. So John was not going to tell the story yet again. He was going to tell what the story meant. And John thought about this. This is my body. This is my blood. He thought about it deeply. And when he writes his gospel, he explores these words. And he begins, well, let me turn back to the gospel according to John at chapter 6, verse 25. Jesus had just come off of the Golan Heights. 
he saw the boat out on the lake, the, the scene where he walks across the water. And when they had found him on the other side, they said, Rabbi, when did you get here? The crowd had been waiting on the North Shore. He had fed them, feeding of the 5,000, the North Shore of the Sea of Galilee. They were waiting for him to come off the mountain, but they didn't see him because he walked across the water. But now they get back to Capernaum, and there he is. When did you get here, they said. And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you're looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill, because I fed you. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which I, the Son of Man, will give you. On him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Don't focus on the bread that you ate on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee when I multiplied the loaves. No, that food spoils. Focus more on food that will endure to eternal life. And they ask him, well, what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent, to believe in me. So they ask him, well, what miraculous sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? What, what will you do? As if the feeding of the 5,000 were not enough. <laughs> they said, our fathers, forefathers ate manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Well, you multiplied the loaves over there and the fish, but Moses gave them bread from heaven. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven. It is my Father who gives you the genuine bread from heaven, the authentic thing. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said, well, from now on, give us that bread. And then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never die. I never die and never thirst. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you don't believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Well, at this, the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. I am the manna, if you will. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say, I came down from heaven? And Jesus answered, stop grumbling. 
No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. And I tell you the truth. He who believes has everlasting life. Again, I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. You ate the bread and the fish on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee, and you'll die. But here, pointing to himself, is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Well, that really set the opponents off. Then the Jews began to argue sharply, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? That's gross. And Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Now listen, folks, for my flesh is genuine food, and my blood is genuine drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. And just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate the manna and died. But he who feeds on this bread, again pointing to himself, will live forever. Now he said this, writes John, while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Now think of this. John has had decades to ponder what Jesus said. But on hearing it, John tells us, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? The word hard is scleroos. It is a, not difficult to understand, it is a scandalous teaching. Scandalous. Who can accept this? Now, if you were a Jew at the synagogue in Capernaum, and you heard what Jesus just said? Well, as C.S. Lewis said, Jesus gives us no choice. Either he is exactly who he said he is, or he's a man equivalent to someone who claims to be a poached egg. Totally nuts. No, he either is or he isn't who he said he is. And when he said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you, this was scandalous. Why? Turn back to Leviticus. And I'm going to turn the pages right there now. Leviticus, chapter 17, at verse 10. Any Israelite 
or any alien living among them who eats any blood. I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from his people. For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Therefore, I say to the Israelites, none of you may eat blood nor may an alien living among you eat blood. That was strictly forbidden by the Mosaic law. So Jesus says something here in the Gospel according to John that is scandalous, and many people simply couldn't accept it. Well, back to John chapter 6, verse 61, 63. I'm sorry, 61. Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does what this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? And the apostles will indeed see it when he ascends from the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem after his crucifixion, burial, and resurrection. The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who don't believe. For Jesus had known, says John, from the very beginning, which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. And from this time... Many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed. And then he's looking at his inner circle, those seated near him. And they were looking puzzled as well, like, this, this is scandalous. And Jesus said, what, you want to leave too? Don't let the door hit you on the way out. Jesus asked the twelve. And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Well, I don't understand, said Peter. I don't understand what you just said about eating my flesh and drinking my blood. But I know who you are. And I'll believe you. I, you know, I don't see how, how you can spiritualize all this. The bread and the wine at the Passover. Jesus said, this is my body. This is my blood. In a very literal way. The full body Spirit, soul, and divinity of Christ is in that bread and wine, his flesh and his blood. Well, we look at it at communion, the Eucharist, and we say, well, it, it doesn't look any different, doesn't taste any different. But no, they're the accidentals. It comes right out of Platonic philosophy. The things we see. If you look at me as I stand or sit here speaking, if you look at me, this is not me. This is the accidentals. This is, the, this is my corporeal envelope. 
It's not who I am. I just sort of live in here. No. The accidentals in philosophy are the surface elements, the substance, the reality, the core reality of the thing is within. And it's that core reality that's transformed when the priest holds the bread up and says, this is my body, and the wine, this is my blood. It transforms that material. Not the accidentals, but the essential reality of what it is. There's no way around it, folks. I don't see how you conduct that. From the earliest times, that's been the position of the church. If we go back to, well, some people say, no, no, all that was, that's all medieval stuff that came along. Nobody believed that back in Jesus' day, in the early church, the pure early church. Well, sorry, folks, there was no pure early church. Just read the New Testament. They're arguing about basically everything. Except this, the reality of the body and blood of Christ. All the way back in the early church, this wasn't something that came uh, out of the Middle Ages. All the way back, take St. Ignatius of Antioch, who lived from 35 to 108. He was right at the time of the apostles. He writes a letter to the people of Smyrna. And he says in that letter that some abstain from the Eucharist and from prayer because they do not believe that the Eucharist is the flesh of our Savior Jesus Christ, which suffered for our sins, and which the Father of his goodness raised up again. They abstain from the Eucharist because they don't believe it's the body and blood of Christ. This is early on in the church. Or take another early church father, St. Justin the Martyr. In chapter 66 of his first apology, he writes, And this food is called among us Eucharistia, or the Eucharist, of which no one is allowed to partake but the man who believes that the things which we teach are true, and who has been washed with the washing that is for remission of sins and unto regeneration, and who is so living as Christ enjoined. For not as common bread and common drink do we receive these, but in like manner as Jesus Christ our Savior, having been made flesh by the word of God, had both flesh and blood for our salvation, so likewise have we been taught that the food which is blessed by the prayer of his word, and from which our blood and flesh by transmutation are nourished, is the flesh and blood of Jesus, who himself had been made flesh. Well, I could continue on with this. St. Justin Martyr from 100 to 165, and we could go all the way up, up through the Middle East. We could go to Origen, to St. Augustine, to Thomas Aquinas, uh, to the Council of Trent, all the way up to this very day. When we sit there as Roman Catholics at Mass, 
and the body and blood of Christ, the bread and the wine, are consecrated and become the body and blood of Christ. The fullness of the person and reality of Christ there that nourishes us day by day. He said, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you have no life in you, no vitality. Well, that's important. And I wanted to take this opportunity to really look at that and think of John, who was seated there at the Last Supper with Jesus, at his left, his head resting on Jesus' shoulder, who had decades to think about this and spoke of it here in John chapter 6. Thank you, folks. I really wanted to go over this topic, and I hope I did okay with it. Uh, let me know, and I appreciate your feedback. Thank you. Blessings to you. See you on Monday. Bye-bye. <laughs>